We're going to get into the word. We have come to the final part of our One Timothy series. Way back in the first Sunday in September, um, they said to you that we were going to uh, work through a book of the Bible or over this next couple of years, work through some of the books of the Bible sort of systematically, consistently. And we're now at the 15th week have to be honest, I feel I've robbed you a little bit because I probably could have stayed in 1 Timothy for double that amount of time, much longer. I've actually probably feel as though I've missed more out or left more out than actually we've had the opportunity to look up. But it is what it is as we come to the end of our 1 Timothy series. And uh, we wanted to look at this because we uh, knew it would help us as individual Christians. Uh, also, when, we, when I stood up in September, I said the reason we wanted to do it consistently and systematically was this. So uh, the sermons you got on Sunday weren't dependent on the sort of week that I had had. Uh, if I'd had a good week, then you got a good encouraging message. But if I'd had a terrible week, then you all got told off for something. And so we decided to not do that and work our way through the book as it taught us things that would help us in our Christian walk, but also as a church as well. And uh, we've looked at things like the men and the women and how we deal with the young people and the old people and how we pray and how we run church. And hopefully some of that uh, has been helpful. But Paul comes to the final two verses of this letter. And we have to remember that he's writing this to his spiritual son in the Lord, Timothy, who he loves, who he cares for, who he sees as his spiritual child. And he, he likens the gospel because there is one theme that runs all the way through this letter, 1 Timothy. One theme that runs through all six chapters is he encourages Timothy to keep hold of the truth. You know, hold on to the truth. Uh, and as relevant as it is then, it is as relevant now. Because we live in a world where often we're just not quite sure what to believe. Uh, and yet the word of God, the Bible, is an anchor point for us. It is a place that we can go to because we know that it is truth. And there were just two verses that we're going to look at. 1 Timothy 6 says, Timothy, now I'm going to stop there, just that word, Timothy, because if you have an older translation of the Bible, and some of you will love that I'm sharing this, if you've got the King James or the New King James, there is a word just before Timothy that just sort of sums up Paul's feeling towards what he's trying to say when he simply says the word, oh, oh Timothy. Now that gives it some expression, gives it some emphasis there. Have to remember that the uh, chapters and the verses were added at a later date. This is Paul writing a letter inspired divinely by the Holy Spirit. But he comes to this because he wants Timothy to understand how important it is, the stuff that he's been telling him. So that, oh, and however you say that, oh, it says that makes all the difference. So I shall add the O in for you King James lovers, okay? Oh, Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and in so doing have departed from the faith. Grace be with you all. It's the final two verses of the letter. 
And as I've already said, uh, as with today's church, the believers in the first century, because of where Timothy is based as he pastors uh, the church in Ephesus, which we believe to be a lot of different house churches, uh, that there is a temptation to compromise the truth of the word of God. Uh, we know Ephesus was a pagan city, uh, one of the temple of Diana of the ancient world. We know because we've said all the way through that Paul ministered there for three years and as he left he gave them a warning, not an encouragement. He says, be careful, uh, these savage wolves uh, will come from among you and he says, we'll try to draw people away. And so Paul was well aware of the pressures and the temptations to compromise and abandon the truth uh, in the Ephesian church, which is why the whole theme of the letter that Paul writes to Timothy is this, is listen, take hold of the truth, guard the truth. And so what does Timothy have to guard? Well, it's the truth of God's word. From the opening verses where Paul instructs Timothy to command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer. And so from that command at the beginning comes this challenge at the end when it says, guard what has been entrusted to you. What has been given to you, Timothy, is of the most importance. Forget everything else in a sense. It's important to understand how you run church. It's important to understand how you have to have these things in place. But Paul's final words to him is this, guard what's been entrusted to you. Because we live in a society, as I've said, where the truth has been watered down, almost abandoned in many cases. You may have heard the term or the phrase postmodernism used in most recent years. And one of the most basic beliefs of that is simply this, is there was no absolute truth. Uh, you're free to believe what you want. Uh, if it's good for you, that's okay. Don't tell anybody else what truth is. I said, literally, it's truth for you, so that's all that matters. We don't find that anywhere in the Bible. Because the Bible teaches us that the word of God is truth. So in a culture that increasingly believes there is no absolute truth, it is essential that the followers of Christ guard and protect the truth. So our word at the end of this in Timothy is to take that encouragement that Paul gives Timothy, that challenge, which is to guard the truth. Hold on to the truth. Let's not water down what we believe. Just to fit in with the culture and the society that we live in. Though it may be unpopular, because it will be unpopular, and it isn't popular, let's not lose sight of that. See, in the original language, this, uh, guard, uh, the, this word guard, it meant to, to keep the deposit. Almost a sacred obligation to keep something of value. Uh, I mean, I'm sure there are people that you would think of, and if you had something that was incredibly valuable, there are people in your mind, coming to your mind now, you would think, I would not leave that with them. A truth, you're thinking of somebody now, aren't you? You're thinking of the family heirloom, you're thinking of something precious, you're thinking if you've got a lot of money or something, you're thinking to yourself, I would never leave that with them because they just would lose it or, or they couldn't be trusted. I would probably be the sort of person that you would be thinking of because I don't wear a watch because I break them all. I don't wear a wedding ring because I lose them all. Uh, I'm on, well, I'm on my final mobile phone because one of them got ran over and I dropped the other one down the toilet. So, if you're looking for an example of somebody not to entrust something valuable to, 
I'm your man, okay? Don't trust. But here, it's actually saying that this is somebody who, who's keeping safe a treasured possession. But what is Paul telling him? Guard what has been entrusted to your care. What exactly is it? In his position, in his place, in the city of Ephesus, summing it all up at the end of chapter 6 of Paul's letter, he simply says this, it's the gospel. He is to guard it. He is to preserve it. And he is to pass it on. That's what he is to hold on to because the gospel is truth. And so therefore that's what's been entrusted to his care. He says out of everything else that Timothy could have, this is the priority. This is the most important thing. You see, there is a great responsibility in guarding the truth. Because to not guard it is to mishandle the revelation of God. So that people don't see who he really is and what he has really done. So people have a misinterpretation of who God is and a misunderstanding of who God is and a misconception of what God has done because the people don't speak the truth or hold on to the truth that they're supposed to proclaim. So actually all we're doing is actually watering down the revelation of God. And probably the biggest problem we have in society today is probably when people look at the church and actually say, how are you any different from us? That would be the truth, wouldn't it? How are you any different from us? Say, sure, well, we, we love each other. Well, there are other organisations that, that love people and do that and, and care for one another. Oh, we look after the poor and needy. Well, there are other organisations that look after the poor and needy. He says, we're not exclusive in that way. And actually, people look and say, well, there doesn't seem to be any difference. This is the difference. We're the ambassadors, as Paul says, of God representing him here on earth how do we represent him not by what we believe or our interpretation or our opinion we represent him by guarding the truth holding on to the truth preserving the truth and proclaiming the truth you see the bible is, is simply the self-revelation of god it's simply the place we go to to discover who God is, what God has said, what God has done. It's his self-revelation. Psalm 138 verse 2, and this is an important verse, it says this. It says, for you have magnified your word above all your name. It's simply saying this, not that the, the word of God is important, more important than the name of God. But actually this is God saying, this is how I see all of this. Yeah, actually, we look at it sometimes, and it's watered down a bit, in a sense. Oh, it's just, it's, it, you know, we magnify the name. And, and, but actually, here we're saying, the word is above. It's like God is almost saying that, that this is how important this is. What the world needs above all else is to hear the truth, and to hear the truth expressed by God's people who have the truth. Uh, and so we see here that the main way that God communicates to us is through his word and it is often neglected it's often the last thing that we go to often our doctrine our theology our understanding what we do is taken from so many other things before we come to the word psalm 119 verse 161 says but my heart stands in awe of your word way back in november for my own personal devotions, I decided to do Psalm 119. And Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible. It's 175 verses long. And it just simply has one theme. The Word of God. That's it. 
the longest chapter in the Bible has one theme and he keeps coming back to it. He doesn't talk about anything else. Every time you think he's going to get, well, he's got to talk about something else now. He doesn't, he just brings it back to the word of God. He says in Psalm 119, all 175 verses, just simply speak about the word of God. Why? Because it's the truth. And, and you see, I'm trying to give us this to help us to understand Paul's message to Timothy and uh, way back in week one we said this was of most importance because this is what we neglect sometimes that being grounded in the truth is what discerns false teaching from true teaching when Timothy confronts the false teachers or tells people to confront what is false he can only do that if he understands the truth he can only do that if he knows the truth he said well, you were speaking something that's not quite correct well, how do you know? Well, I don't know. <laughs> you know, actually, it's a simple way of saying, actually, you confront false teaching by true teaching. Where do you find true teaching? All the way through both Jesus' teaching, when he says, you should know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And also in John 14, verse 6, when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So the truth was so important to him. There wasn't something that he just spoke. He declared that I am the truth as well. Even Paul, when he writes to the, the uh, church in Ephesians, he finishes it with the armour of God. Uh, and, and he speaks of the belt of truth. And, and as I read and I looked at this before, he says, you know, we wear a belt. And you'll be glad I'm wearing a belt this morning. Uh, because I said, if I removed the belt, I would be uncomfortable. You would be more uncomfortable <laughs> if the belt didn't do what it was supposed to do. And we wear a belt, why do we wear a belt? And Paul, one of the commentators said, and I thought, it's a great thought, I never saw this. And he says, a belt of truth. And he wears it, and it keeps everything else in place. Keeps that, that breastplate of righteousness, keeps it in place. The belt of truth holds everything else together. And all the way through Paul's teaching, he's speaking about this. He says, that belt of truth just stops everything swaying about the tunic and everything else that the soldier is wearing. He gets the belt and he puts the belt on and, and it, the belt holds it all in place. It keeps it all where it's supposed to be for the soldier. And so he calls it the belt of truth because he's trying to, in a sense, get the readers to understand how important this truth is because being grounded in the truth is what discerns his false teaching from truth teaching. Because church must be a place that both preserves and proclaims the truth. You know, you see again, and I touched on this last week, Paul's theme and his teaching, not just in this letter, but others. What does he say? Guard what has been entrusted to you. Turn away from godless chatter. Flee from these things. Pursue these things. He's giving the alternative all the time, isn't it? When he says, devote yourself to the truth. Avoid everything that's not truth. It's almost sensitive with you. He says, these things are all here. We know they're all here. You turn away from them. Flee from them. Devote yourself to this. Because his integrity of his life and his ministry was by being careful to hold on to what has been entrusted to him. I will look after this. I will take care of this. And avoiding those things that will distract him. That's what he was supposed to do. He was saying, this is the most important thing. Guard that that has been entrusted to you. The gospel, the truth. Because that is the one thing that will change everybody's lives that you come into contact with. 
but avoid everything else, the godless chatter, those who want to talk about the genealogies and the myths and all the other nonsense that people want to argue about. He says, this is what these false teachers devoted themselves to. It was endless, it was exhaustive, it was wearisome. And all it did was bring controversy. Right at the end of the letter, Paul challenges Timothy. Simply says, keep hold of this. Make this the most important things. Sure, there'll be things that distract you. Sure, there'll be other things, but you need to avoid those things and hold on to these things. Paul had confidence in Timothy and he did trust him. Yet Paul knew the power of seduction by false teachers, spreading their false teaching. How high the stakes were, because we said this in chapter 3. If the leadership goes, then the church goes. And it's so important that we make sure that we keep us on the right track of what the truth is and preach the truth and proclaim the truth. But there's a warning because sometimes people will come and a new teaching, a new experience. Have we tried this? Should, should we do this in church? Am I livening it up a little bit? Maybe Matt, if you got up and maybe if you, you know, did this and, and, and that would keep people more interested. Or you could get up a man, not necessarily, you know, preach the word, you know, do this, tell a couple of funny stories. I could be a funny guy, you know I can. Tell a couple of funny stories. Tell us what your dog did this week and apply a spiritual principle to that because we'll understand that more. And we'll look at it and say, that makes us relevant then. But actually, it doesn't make us relevant. We've missed what we're called to do, which is to preach the truth, proclaim the truth, preserve the truth because above all else it's what the people need to hear above everything else yes it might encourage us to come to church if we did things that maybe were a little bit more light-hearted and maybe a little bit more entertaining maybe something but if we did all of that what would we lose on the other side we would only draw people who would look and say oh I'm going to come to church tonight because they're, they're doing that but not that I'm going to come to church this morning because he's preaching and, and not he's preaching. Or I'm going to come to church today because when, when they sing, they sing lots of hymns. But when they sing, they do lots of choruses. And we're almost like this. We're almost like getting to church like we said in week one and says, yes, I'll go to this church. Good kids work. Pastor funny. You know, just I'm ticking off the things we'd like to find the perfect church. And yet nowhere in scripture does it teach us any of that. Nowhere in scripture does it teach us any of that. It teaches us this. The church needs to take hold of that which has been entrusted to their care. Like Timothy, which is what? Which is the truth, which is the gospel. We have one, but one message here. Because it's the only message that changes people's lives. It's, it's the only truth that makes a difference in people's lives. Whether you teach it, whether you preach it. It says the only thing that can change people's lives is when God gets a hold of a person and he sets them free. We can't just sing it in the words of the first song this morning. Bring all your failures, bring all your addictions. Oh, Lord, I love all of that. Listen, it's the word of God that does all of that. It's the teaching of the truth that does all of that. It says that that we sung this morning is an expression of that in our worship because we believe it and we see it because God has done it. And not only just in the lives of other people that may be around you, he's done it in your life as well. 
So when I come and stand at the front there and he says, bring all your failures, bring all your addictions, bring all the things that you've done wrong. He says, my hand is held high in the air because I'm saying, that's the truth that I'm expressing because God's done it in my life as he's done it in your life. And it's about this proclaiming the truth, guarding the truth. And Paul shares it with Timothy all the way through these six chapters as we come to the end. Chapter 1, confront these false teachers. Why? Guard the truth. Chapter 4, devote yourself to study. Guard the truth. Chapter 6, flee from these things and pursue these things. What's he doing? He's guarding the truth. Timothy has been given this sacred duty. He's leading this church. He has to take this divinely given deposit, guard it, preserve it, and pass it on to others without dilution or distortion. Every level, every situation, believing that the truth of the gospel changes people's lives. You see, another aspect of this final charge, as we've said, is the things that you have to avoid. Thought about this is very true. I've found in ministry sometimes that there are people that you listen to and there are people that you don't listen to. I'm sorry, that's just what happens because sometimes people... You know, they just want to devote all of their, or devote all of your time to something that is just like what was happening here, meaningless conversation. And a lot of the time, what you have to do is avoid, not avoid the people, because we've got to love all people, even the difficult ones. We've got to avoid the people, because actually our focus should be on guarding the truth, preserving the truth, and proclaiming the truth. You see, there are some things that need to be addressed, but there are just other things that, that, that just don't need to be addressed. Sometimes when people say, Pastor, do you think we should do something here? And I might nod my head. The advantage of being deaf is I can pretend I didn't hear you. <laughs> so the next time you ask me something, that question will come into your mind. Uh, but it's this, it says, well, what do we address? Because we can't address everything. There's other things that we have to address, there are other things we're just going to leave to the side. As I read this and see what it says, guard what has been entrusted to you. Uh, the shepherd uh, guards his sheep, he looks out for his sheep, he loves his sheep, he protects his sheep, he guides his sheep. That is what is most important. It says, what else is important? What gets said from here? So therefore when people are in and we're sharing and we're speaking and we're telling people the gospel, we guard what is said from here. He says, those things are important. There are other things that are just not important. They might be important to you, but in the realm of things, they're not really that important. Now, if you've shared something with me in the last couple of weeks, and I haven't come back to you, he says, that's not the reason, okay? I've probably just forgotten. You see, to avoid means to turn away or not become involved. Paul says this, two things. Avoid the godless chatter. To simply avoid talk that's of no significant content. Does it take the church forward? Does it edify the church? Does it encourage the church? Does it lift the church up? He says all that stuff that is just godless chatter, actually there's no significant content to it. They've always got an opinion. Riding some hobby horse seems to be in the middle of conflict. You know, he says, I, uh, anybody who spent any time at Bible college uh, as a student, well, no, when you're at Bible college, all people do sometimes is argue about theology. He says, now, I, I lived in a college, and I've already lived in 
but they would spend their evenings just arguing about theology what we believed and we thought we were the saviors of the world we thought we had some revelation at 23 years of age that the rest of the world hadn't that I couldn't wait to get out and tell everybody how wrong I were because I'd received this revelation from God about some theology and I'm not the only one I said lots of people do that because they've got a hobby horse and they want to ride that hobby horse and tell everybody else that they're missing it this is what the false teachers were doing here and yet Paul comes in and he simply says hey once you've confronted them and you've challenged them he says avoid the stuff this is not important. It's not significant in the run of things as far as what God is doing in his church. He says, you've confronted them. You've challenged them. You're not giving them any space at all to say it. He says, but at that point, avoid it. And guard what has been entrusted to you. He says, because that is more important than anything else. And he comes and he says the second thing when he says, avoid the opposing ideas. See, the false teachers in Ephesus were, were teaching this some form of high spiritual knowledge that, that actually goes back to those that were probably uh, Jewish descendants and said, actually, you're the chosen people, these Gentiles. They're sort of coming in through the back door. They're not the chosen ones. We want to look at genealogies because what mattered was who you came from and where you came from. And if you were part of that group, then you're in. This was a sort of nonsense that they were teaching. Believing that was spiritual. Uh, and that's the opposing idea of what was being taught through the gospel and by the gospel which is who's it for everyone everywhere who's in we're all in it says who, who, who can who can't God reach who can anybody God can't reach and you see for the teachers here that sort of knocked their teaching out the window a little bit because they were saying no hold on a second name's not correct no descendants I don't know if he's got a part to play here and Jesus Christ came by the cross and simply said, who's in? Everybody. Everybody's in. He said, what about my past? Uh, well, Jesus Christ deals with that at the cross. About the stuff going on in my life at the moment. Hey, church, come and take a seat with the rest of us. My baggage is not your baggage. Your baggage is not my baggage. But boy, are we in the best place for God to do something in our lives when we're sitting in church with other people who might not be dealing with the same thing as we are, but are dealing with something else. Who's it for? Everybody. Always. It's almost like doors are open at the back. Church is for you this morning. Some fellas just walk past then, and I don't know if it, be, if it comes in, well, no, that was a word from God. Like. See, Paul does this. I can't emphasize this enough. Above all else, the one thing that stands out of the end of this letter that we must take hold of, church, guard that which has been entrusted to us to do what we're supposed to do, to be a church, and to be a church in a dark place, to shine a light, to share the love of Christ, both prayerfully and practically, to preach the gospel, to proclaim the gospel and to preserve the gospel. Why is it important to do this? Well, one of my favorite quotes from over the years is this. If you don't stand for something, you will believe everything and fall for anything. How true is that? If you don't stand for something, you will believe everything and fall for anything. Paul's just taking 
what he's taught Timothy and said, stand on this. This is what matters. Hold on to this. Guard that which has been entrusted to you. He says, we see the opposition everywhere. The church, the message of Christianity is not a popular message. It has never been a popular message, but it's supposed to be a proclaimed message, and we are supposed to proclaim it. And you see, we come and we do that. Both as Paul encourages Timothy. But this, this is my final point. He says this, guarding the truth is not just a matter of right interpretation. It is a matter of right living as well. That's a challenge for us as well. So come to the end of this letter. Paul encourages and challenges and tells Timothy what he needs to do. Above all else, he simply says this. So it's not just about the words that we say. We've got to make sure that the words we say are backed up in the lifestyle that we live. How do we know what it is, the lifestyle that we live? Well, the word of God teaches us the way that we should live our lives. And so the right interpretation helps us to live the right way. And that's a challenge that comes, and we'll see that again, because some point later on this year, we're going to work our way through to, to Timothy. Because we're simply halfway through at the moment what Paul is challenging Timothy with, what he's encouraging Timothy with, is simply helping him and leading him along the way. But church has finished today to encourage you to do this. There's that message he says at the end, that phrase, so important to us as a church. Guard that which has been entrusted to us. The gospel, the truth. So listening to a sermon this week about this particular subject, Alistair Begg, a very popular Christian teacher, he says often we struggle because even as believers we don't know what the gospel is. We think we've got to give people a half hour sermon to tell them what the gospel is. You know, the best interpretation of the gospel I've heard are four points. God loves me. I have sinned. Jesus died for me. I need to decide to live for God. I mean, goodness, the most popular verse in the Bible that sums up the gospel, John 3:16, is 26 words. And often we confuse ourselves and complicate things because in the guarding of it, we're supposed to proclaim it as well. But we can proclaim it in such a way that it's the truth that people need to hear and allow God's Holy Spirit to do his work. So we have a challenge at the end here. We have a challenge as we come. This has been an encouraging letter, but it's been a challenging letter as well. Because Paul writes these words to encourage his son in the ministry and it has encouraged us as we've looked at the six chapters over 15 weeks, which we could have taken a lot longer. Paul encourages Timothy. Challenge, confront Devote yourself to study. Flee from these things and pursue these things. Hold fast that which leads to eternal life. So much that encourages us through this. Let us pray as we come to the end. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, your word is written because it's not just timeless, it's eternal. So those same words that were written under divine inspiration at the time that your servant Paul wrote to them still speaks to us today all these years later as a group of family of your people gathered in your church around your word knowing that that challenge to Timothy to guard what has been entrusted to him is as real and applicable 
to us as a church today. And Father, we as a church, this church, Father, we make that commitment that we will guard what has been entrusted to us. So Father, we will not water down or dilute your truth. The Father, your word, your, this world needs to hear the truth more than anything. For it's, we know that it's a truth that sets people free. But they have to know it. And so, Father, we come and we pray for all that we do. All that we do through the week. We pray for this evening. As we gather again together in the evening service, Father, we pray. Be somebody on our mind to invite this afternoon to come to church tonight. Father, to hear your truth, to hear the truth that we have preserved, that we are proclaiming, that we are guarding, for it's that that you've entrusted to us. And we say thank you to that and for that today. In Jesus' name, amen.